Worship team, thank you, uh, Jan and company, for leading us. Um, this morning, uh, before I get started in our final part of our series called To Die For, I'd like to share with you and allow those who are going to be sharing with you for the next uh, several weeks to talk about what's upcoming for this summer. So I've invited um, Kevin and Derek and Chuck to come on up here and talk a little bit about what will happen starting next Sunday. Uh, so welcome, guys. AKA, oh, you can hashtag this series, by the way, this upcoming one, AKA, or hashtag Three Stooges, and it'll work just fine. <laughs> Good to have you guys here. Appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. It felt appropriate. Okay. Um, so, Kevin, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the series that's upcoming? What should we be looking for starting next Sunday? Sure, yeah. Over the next uh, 10 weeks, we'll be walking through the book of Colossians, and we'll be taking a look at what it means to live an all-in life. And that's the, that's the title of the series, All In. So we're going to be uh, exploring things like uh, discovering our true identity, um, developing some habits for living an all-in life that are sustainable, and um, uh, basically learning how we can apply the truths found in Colossians to our daily lives uh, at home, at work, um, with our families, at school, wherever, wherever we find ourselves. So. That's great. And this is a series, uh, image up there, all in. The idea is pursuing Christ above all. Um, there's a rotation that'll be going on. Kevin is going to be kicking off next Sunday, and then it'll be a, a mix uh, of, of these, these guys over time. So it'll be good. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your heart for this. You know, what do you hope for us as a people? And like, why are we even in the book of Colossians? So do you guys want to talk a little bit about what you hope for us and what your heart is behind this series? Sure. Um, I think the idea being that we're not the first church to struggle with things in a day-to-day -day life, and there's things in Scripture that we can look to and apply to what's happening for us now. Uh, I think the letter was written to a church that had some real-life things going on for them, and I just think there's opportunity for us, like Kevin said, to, to go from uh, peaks and valleys to really being all in all the time, and I just think there's loads of truth in there, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share that and make it very applicable, very applicable to what we're going through right now. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate that image. It took me a while to stand there still like that while they took the picture. <laughs> it was like getting the rest of the way up was difficult, but uh, I'm glad we could use that. Holding on to that green screen is tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> green screen is tough. Um, I guess my heart is, is similar to everybody up here is that in the book of Colossians, there's so much of that book that we all know, and there's so many truths in there. There's so many verses that we memorized. And how do we take something that's been around so long? that maybe we take for granted and just apply it in a very real way. How do we take the truth of Colossians and plant it into our heart for the things that we're dealing with today? And that's what we hope to accomplish. Yeah. I'm excited that you guys get to hear from these folks over the summertime. Uh, Chuck, if you don't know, Chuck over there on the far, uh, your far right is the executive director of the Factory Ministries. <laughs> <laughs> that's all he does. In the middle here, Derek, uh, Director of Community Relations, I believe, is the title at the factory as well. Um, both of these guys are, are longtime members here at GPC as well. And Kevin, if you don't know Kevin, um, our, uh, our minister to, uh, or pastor of student ministries here at GPC. So, guys, thanks so much. We're looking forward to, to what will come. Thanks again. Now, one more preview before I keep going. When uh, this all-in series is done, I will be all back in, and I will be ready to go again. And I want you to know what's coming when I get back, because I'm looking forward to it. And here's what is going to happen next for me in our next teaching series. 
Um, one of the things that we talk about at GPC is we want to be developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Like we want people to be moving and growing in their faith. And the question is, if you're thinking with us, how do I do that? Like what does it actually mean to grow my faith? Do I just show up at church on Sunday? Do I read the Bible? Like what does it mean to grow the faith? And in a very tangible way, here's what I think. That there are times in life that happen very consistently in which you have an opportunity, and I have an opportunity to grow my faith in very real ways. And one of those seasons, those things that keeps coming up for all of us is this. Worry. And here's, my, here's my deal. That every time that you and I run into a moment in life when I'm tempted to worry or be anxious, it's like a flag that's planted, and I have a chance either to grow in my dependence on God or my independence from Him. Like every time there's something in my life that I'm unsure about, that I'm worried about, that I'm anxious about, it is a marker for you. It's an opportunity to grow in dependence on him through all of that worry and through all that anxiety or to grow in independence from him and trust in self and confidence in who I am. Worry and anxiety is a unique and maybe a convoluted, if you will, gift, but it is indeed a gift because it's a time that stops your life for a moment. And it's in that moment when you stop and you're anxious that I want you to think, here's a chance for me. Here's a chance for me to step into dependence on God. Now, in order to communicate this and something I want you to hang your idea of this series on, have you heard the story, the children's fable of an acorn falling on a chicken? The chicken believes that what is falling? The sky is falling, and the chicken goes to tell the hen that the sky is falling, and then the hen goes to tell the duck, I think, and then the duck with the chicken and the hen go to tell the maybe the, uh, the goose, and then the four of them together go tell the turkey, and there's this big collection of fowl going along the road, going to tell the king that the sky is falling, because I felt it. I felt the sky fall, and it hit me, and they run into this cunning animal called the fox. The fox says, let me show you the way to the king. Right under the fence, here we go. They make their way to the den of the little fox, and the story ends that they never made it to find the king because the fox leveraged the fear of the anxious crowd. And what I believe is that there's a little bit, and you know the story's called Chicken Little. I believe there's a little bit of Chicken Little in all of us. There's a little bit of, ooh, I got a bump in my life. I think the sky might be falling. And it's in those moments when we handle anxiety incorrectly that we are susceptible to danger. Now, so I want you to remember the series. And here's what I want for you. I want that voice of Chicken Little to be eliminated from your life. Okay? This is very important that you hear me on this. I'm going to say it one more time. But I want that voice of Chicken Little to be eliminated from your life. And so, in light of that, when I come back from sabbatical, we're going into a series called Killing Chicken Little. Eliminating worry before it eliminates you. All right, this is, this is what we're doing. And we're not meant to be, this is not like a horror movie, okay? Just so you know. Um, this is meant to help us remember that there's a voice inside of all of us that can be anxious like this. And we're going to study the book of Philippians chapter 4 for five Sundays. Because in there, Paul gives us a game plan for how to respond to worry and anxiety that is a very godly response to anxiety and worry, and that will help you, I believe, grow in your faith, which is what we want to be doing. Okay? Now, to make it even more fun, 
Somewhere along the line, and we hope, all right, details still being ironed out, but we hope on the final Sunday of this series that we will share together in a chicken barbecue. True story. Thank you to the Inspire team for coming up with that idea. Not my idea, um, but we're hoping to make that happen, uh, to share some time together, to enjoy fellowship around a meal together, and to symbolize... All right, there you go. All right. Killing Chicken Little. Looking forward to that when I come back. All right? Fair enough. There we go. All right. Well, welcome to our, uh, our final series, uh, final part of a 10-part series um, that we have called to, uh, to die for. And uh, this series, uh, I hope for you, has been challenging, and really what's underneath this for us is a reminder, again, that the faith that we share uh, is not something that just exists when you come and sit in the pews, or if you're listening online later, or maybe you're exercising or walking the dog or, or just driving in the car, that, you know, that in the middle of life we don't, don't just hear things and move on, but that the Christian faith, people for generations have died for the things that we sometimes so coolly take for granted. And so I hope that if nothing else, this series has kind of raised up for you this awakening in you that the faith is not just a Sunday-altering reality, that my schedule on Sunday has changed, but it's actually a, a life-altering reality. And in that, we've looked at the book of Hebrews, and we'll finish there this morning, but we looked at kind of three movements. We've been over here to begin that the first uh, movement was about who Jesus is, fully God and fully man, and the implications of that. And then we moved over in this second movement to um, understanding faith. Faith is an active response to the gospel. Faith is being centered on Christ, not centered on the church or leaders or mom and dad, but centered on Christ. And we talked about the implications of that. The last two Sundays, we've been talking about the dangers of something we call moralism, and that is the, the tendency that all of us have through, throughout human history to reduce our faith expression to, to following a set of moral or ethical commands. If only you do this and don't do that, then God will love you more and you'll be you know, honored in his sight. We've talked about the danger of moralism in the last two weeks. Now, to finish this series, and again, we're going to do a shorter uh, thought here this morning, but to finish this, the author to the book of Hebrews um, takes us in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he takes us to a place where he speaks to what community life should feel like. He speaks to what if you are a member of a faith community, right, and you're part of people who say, I follow Jesus Christ. Like here, it, he's giving us some insight into this is what it should feel like to be a part of a community like this. And I'll tell you, it is a difficult picture, a good picture, but a hard picture to really kind of get our hands on. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to jump into that in a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew uh, right near you. It's our gift to you, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, just take that home. No one's going to ask you any questions about it. They might even give you another one. You're allowed to take that with you. That's there for you. Um, but Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews is in the New Testament, the right third of your Bible. Um, we're going to start in chapter 12, verse 14 in a little bit, okay? So to kind of frame this up briefly, I just want to tell you a brief story. Uh, I may or may not have shared this with you before, but back when I was in high school, I played basketball. Some of you know that. Uh, that was a really great experience for me. I remember the one time we won a game. That really was awesome. Um, I would play at home, and one of the homes we lived at right down here in Paradise Lane um, had a wooden basketball pole, um, and I was out there playing, 
and I did something, I don't know if I grabbed the pole trying to save the ball going out of bounds, quote unquote, or whatever, but I, I got a deep, big splinter in my left hand right below my index finger. Uh, in fact, it was so deep and that I didn't want to get it out. And I am a splinter baby. Like, those things kill me, and I did not want to get it out. And I, I actually left it there, like, for days. It's terrible. It's terrible. I left it there for days because I just didn't want to deal with the pain of pulling out, and I couldn't get it out, and we didn't know what to do anyway. And I was just like, no, I don't want anyone to touch it. No, no, it's going to be okay. It'll come out. You know, we'll draw it out. And it was terrible. It was a bad idea, right? But I was a splinter baby. In fact, it, it, it stayed there so long that I'm actually, you can see, I'm rubbing, if you're here this morning not listening later, I'm actually rubbing the spot because I still have a scar, a little scar on my index finger where this splinter came and left a mark, and still to this day I remember, oh yeah, that was when I was so dumb as a young kid and just didn't want to get the splinter out. Out and I fought with resistance. And here's the, the deal this morning. The author is writing, he's going to say, hey, there's a little thing, like a little splinter, that can get in and get into your community. Like it can get in. And when it does, it's a pain. And if you don't deal with it, it'll leave a mark for a long time. It's a little thing. But man, when you don't deal with the little stuff, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to hurt. And there's a potential to destroy the community. So I want to look at that with you. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. He says here in verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let's pause it on those two verses for right now. He begins with this statement, make every effort to live in peace. Um, I think you know this, but let me put it in these words for you, that um, peaceful interpersonal relationships foster godliness. Okay? I think it was Tom Constable, one of my seminary profs, who put it that way. Peaceful interpersonal relationships foster godliness. In other words, if you want to know how to grow in my faith, striving for peaceful interpersonal relationships is like the, the garden, if you will, in which godliness will grow. In other words, fighters don't grow in godliness. James 3.18 puts it this way, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace, it's the image, drop the seed in the ground in peace, they're going to gather, they're going to harvest righteousness. And so make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Now, this is really hard. Right? I'll say this, we have a strong history of this here at our church, right? Like there are some of you who, instead of um, moving into the draft, chose 1W service, or know people who have. Why? Because you knew this principle, right? Like you understood that this is something that we want to be after, a noble calling. That the peace, right, that's handed down from generation to generation of believers, this church has a unique peace strand to its history, driven by the values and beliefs of something like this, right? Now, there's some of you who also um, have been educated by people who have these same values, and yet you've also seen some of those people be hypocritical. And so the idea of hearing peace, you think, oh, some of you react with a little bit of internal hostility. I get that. The reason is because pursuing peace is difficult. 
Because anyone who pursues peace is going to be a hypocrite. Anyone. Because none of us are great at it all the time. We're always going to fail in this regard. But here's what we also know. That it takes more work to produce peace than war. Right? Right? Like it takes more character to forgive than to fight. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Take more character to take the high road than the easy road, doesn't it? Like it takes more of you to pursue peace than to make war, right? I'm talking interpersonally now, not just nation to nation. And here's what also happens. You ask anyone who's married, been married, let's say, more than 10 years or even less than that in some cases. When you pursue peace in a relationship, it changes you. Like when you, when you pursue peace and you really pursue it, like it changes you. Because if you pursue peace, you are confronted with a part of you that you don't want to deal with. Primarily, pride. All of a sudden, I have to humble myself under you and honor you above myself. But my default when I wake up is to take care of me. But pursuing peace requires that I outdo you in honor. And so pursuing peace changes people. It changes their character. It changes who they are. It's a real gift, but it's a real difficulty. Real difficulty. And he goes on to write this, verse 15. See to it that in that pursuit of living in peace, that no one misses the grace of God. Very important statement. Because you can't pursue peace while missing the grace of God. It, it's impossible. You can't do it well. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And then he says this, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So in other words, as you are getting along in your faith, okay, as you're trying to follow Christ, See to it that you don't miss the grace of God, not just to save you, but to help you live well. And that no bitter root grows up defiling many. Because here's what we know about bitterness. That bitterness grows where grace is absent, right? Bitterness grows where grace is absent, doesn't it? Don't you know bitter people who grow their bitterness without grace? In fact, this is the only way that bitterness grows. Bitterness cannot grow in the flower garden of grace. It can't. Bitterness always grows where grace is absent. There's some unique things about bitterness. One of the things is this, that bitterness usually has a um, legitimate foundation to it. People who are bitter are usually bitter for real reasons. They've been offended. They've been hurt, often legitimately. Their ex did something to them. Their family member did something to them. Their boss, their co-worker, their sibling, a church leader, you name it, did something that offended, crossed them, and maybe even, maybe even was flat out wrong. And the response is, <laughs> I want to fight for what is right. So wrong that they did that. The response builds and grows. And the root of bitterness will always grow where we miss the grace of God. The author of the Hebrews says, See to it, please, 
as you look around, as you work together, as you grow in your faith, please help each other. And you're growing and you're relating. Please encourage each other. Don't miss the grace of God. Because if you miss the grace of God, the bitterness grows up. And then he says, defiling many. That the bitterness has a result, it's a root that grows and it defiles many. And we don't need to use our imagination much on this, do we? You, you know bitter people, don't you? People in your family, maybe people in the church, maybe people you work with. The people that you really don't really want to hang out with if you want to have a good day. The people who are always a little upset about something, who always feel like they've been crossed, who are always kind of willing to, to see what's wrong with the situation rather than what is right. People who are given to more bitterness than to forgiveness and grace. We, we know that. And here's my encouragement to us. I've said it before uh, in different contexts, but let me encourage you this way, that Christians do the right thing, not the rights thing. If you remember, we've said this before many times, that Christians, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that Christians are supposed to do the right thing and not the rights thing. In other words, the rights thing on offense, personal offense, is I've been wronged, I need to make this right, and I have a right to be angry, okay? Like, I have a right to tell you why that person offended me. I have a right to defend my honor. I have a right to, I have a right, and as soon as we say I have a right, usually, usually we're in the wrong even if we think we're right. But isn't this what Jesus did? Did he have a right to get down from the cross? Yeah. Did he have a right to a fair trial? Yeah. Did he get one? No. Because of what Jesus did and because we follow someone like this, he did the right thing. He didn't do the rights thing. He didn't claim his rights and say, man, I have a right not to be whipped like that. I have a right not to. If Jesus says that, man, we are not here, Right? And so if we follow someone like that, we are people who need to do the right thing, not the rights thing. And as soon as I do the rights thing, I'm doing the wrong thing. The author says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Let me draw you back into the grace of the gospel. And in that pursuit and the vision of the grace, let me draw you in, let me draw you in. This is going to be hard, but let me encourage you. Live in peace with everybody because it's harder. It's harder. It takes more character. It takes more faith to forgive than to be angry. It takes more courage to be gracious than to be bitter. But he says, see to it that that little splinter of bitterness doesn't slide into you and leave a mark it's not dealt with. Because it will leave a mark if it's not dealt with. And to try to encourage us and lift up our vision, he takes us down to the end, and we're going to zip down to, to verse 28 now to picture an end uh, briefly and, and bring this shortly to a conclusion. He says here in verse 28, Therefore, and he wants us to kind of pick up our vision and see what's going on, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, in other words, he's saying, look, this kingdom cannot be shaken. Like your future as a people is unshakable. You, you can't get away from this. You have hope that is real, okay? Like the kingdom of God, the rule of God in very real and tangible ways will happen. Of all the other things that might happen, this is unshakable. And for the Christian, we're talking about the time when evil and wrong and injustice is fully restrained and fully eliminated. We're talking about a future time that we have yet to experience in which the kingdom of God, that 
kingdom in which God rules and reigns will take place. Now, there are times we experience part of that now, but we really don't experience it in its fullness until a future time. This is part of what we understand the Scriptures are saying. And the Scriptures are teaching us that this time will come, and that is unshakable. Count on it. Now, in light of that, in light of that, remember this, that our God is a consuming fire. An interesting way to conclude in these verses, our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? Essentially referring to the idea that God is a God who will judge. Like, he will judge what's going on. He will care enough to care enough. God is a judge, yes. Why does he judge? Because he cares enough to hold us accountable. And isn't it loving to do that? Isn't it loving as a parent to judge the behaviors of your children as healthy or unhealthy, especially when they're two? Not healthy. Isn't that a healthy thing to guide them in good behavior? To correct, to care, to judge. This essentially is what God does for us. Holds us accountable to, moves us in character, in faith. He's a consuming fire. He's a God who judges and cares enough to care enough. And so the author is saying, listen, live in peace. Make sure that no one misses the grace of God. And if you're unsure, let me encourage you to lift up your vision of what is to come. And here's a question that, if I can put it in my terms, the author might be putting it this way. When you think about the things that offend us, the things that we bump into each other on, and rest assured that will happen and will continue to happen, where we will bump into and offend one another. When those things happen, here's a question for you. Why risk something so big over something so small? Like, why risk a future that is so big, the unchangeable future, an unshakable future kingdom of God, over something that is so small, the offense of my brother or sister, my friend or my parent or my coworker or my boss. Why risk something so big over something so small? Now, granted, it doesn't feel small at the time. That splinter hurts, right? There's a reason you're offended. I get it. But as the author looks around to the people who are trying to follow Jesus, he's like, you're going to get angry with each other. Get ready for that. You're going to be fighting with each other. Get ready for that. You're going to want to give that up. You're going to want to miss the grace of God in how you exist together. Get ready for that. But please, see to it that no one among you misses that grace. Because if you miss the grace, you're going to have a bitter root growing up. And it's going to defile many. Please remember your future. There's an unshakable kingdom. So why risk? Why risk something so big over something so small? This author, I wish I knew his name, this pastoral appeal that he has to his people. He has said in just a chapter previous, he said this about his, his um, understanding of the faith. And this is where I want to drop and leave it here this morning. He said this about us, and if you have been here at all, you know the verse I'm going to. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, he reminds us of this. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And I don't know where you come from here this morning, okay? But if you have been, been gone mentally or whatever in this entire series, like if you can't remember anything that was said, that's, that's okay. Kind of. But here's the essence of the identity that he gives to people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You are? 
You are? You're a follower of Jesus Christ? Good. Okay. Then know this. You are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not who you are. But in contrast to that, you with courage believe and are saved. And so if nothing else, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Please don't miss the grace of God and it takes courage to see it. And remember, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are never of those who shrink back in fear and are destroyed. But you believe and are saved. So you are. So you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It takes great courage. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. We have the privilege this morning to share in communion. We're going to do that here. I'm going to pray for us. I'd like to invite the communion ushers and the worship team to come up. and we're going to, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition to communion. I'll explain that in a minute. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time in your word this morning in this letter that you wrote. You had this author write hundreds of years ago now. I pray that the truth of it will reverberate through history and land with us here today, that this can mark us as people who will continue to bump into each other in our pursuit of you. Help us not to miss your grace in the middle of this community. Help us to pull out the splinter quickly when we get it. Give us courage to see our character and our faith changed by our trust in you. May we be people who believe even when it's incredibly difficult. May we be people who believe and are saved. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Remind us again, Father, this faith that is handed down from generation to generation is worth dying for. No question about it. And we're grateful that you sent your Son to set that very example to die for what we now live for. We thank you for your good grace to us. Help us to walk and live in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.